Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. In 1986, a group of researchers published a study of Japanese mothers and mothers in Minneapolis. The mothers were asked to rank the most important things that a child needs to succeed academically. The answers tell a lot about the difference in our two cultures today. The mothers in Minneapolis chose ability. The mothers in Japan said effort. Basically, it could be boiled down to circumstances versus effort. Matthew 5 verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Many people view relational peace the same way that the surveyed American mothers viewed success. If the circumstances are right, there can be peace. We need to understand that peace in our relationships takes effort. It takes peacemakers As we go through life, we understand very quickly that we will be offended and hurt. In Luke 17, Jesus says the same thing. He tells his disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. God emphasizes that you must fight for peace in your relationships. Now, I'm intentionally using a play on words to emphasize that being a peacemaker takes effort. We need to realize there is something much bigger going on than just our comfort here in this situation. There's a big picture here. We must fight for peace because we want our God to be seen and glorified through our lives. Making peace is not passive. It is active. It is not just absorbing hurt and anger and allowing yourself to be trampled all over. Peacemaking is actively working to end strife and contentions. What should motivate us to fight for peace? The first motivation I would like to consider is a big picture one. A peacemaker strives for God's glory. In the Bible, we see that God is a God who makes peace. And we should want to be people that reflect that attribute of our God. God's glory is seen as he makes peace with man. In Romans 4 verse 25, it says, Who, referring to Jesus, was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He was delivered for our offenses. We all have offended a holy, righteous God. And the Bible says clearly that the wages of sin is death. And that the wages of sin must be paid. There's consequences for sin. With his death, Jesus paid the wages for your sin and for mine. As God, who became 100% man, did Jesus fight with his humanity about being delivered for our offenses? As the time for the cross was rapidly approaching, we see the human side of Christ's nature in Gethsemane. He fell on his face in prayer, saying, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But we notice that he did not sit on the sidelines waiting for peace. He fought, he strove to bring peace between God and man. He became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was raised for our justification. He's not dead. He had victory over sin and death. And so now look at the results in chapter 5, verse 1, the next verse. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've all offended a holy God. But by placing our faith in Jesus, we can be justified, declared righteous. We can be made right with God. God, through Jesus, because he loved us, took the initiative to make peace with man. The result of the gospel and our justification is peace. There's an old story of a bricklayer. 
Well, on scaffolding, he fell from a very high height. A man ran up to him and, afraid for his life, said, You better make peace with God. The bricklayer responded, God made peace with me on the cross of Calvary 1,800 years ago. Isaiah 53, 3-5 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. He paid for our peace with his blood. The same people who despised and rejected him, the same people who hid their faces from him, Jesus fought for our peace while we attacked him. Have you truly experienced peace with God? Do you need to today? Because if you can't find it in your heart to forgive, maybe it's because your heart is not forgiven. And I don't say that lightly. Have you truly experienced a heart that has been made at peace with God through Jesus Christ? God's glory can be seen as we make peace with others. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33. Some well-known verses says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So here's the context of verse 31. There's a difference of opinion in Corinth on whether or not to eat meat offered to idols. But listen to verse 32. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. My concern should be to avoid offense, to avoid being a stumbling block, a reason that someone else enters into sin. And often we want to fight for our rights, but we're called to fight for peace in our own hearts. At times, I am called to give up liberty for the glory of God and the good of the church. Verse 33 even as, I, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Paul gave up liberty, liberties to bring up peace. It wasn't about him. And notice that everything here comes back to the gospel, that they may be saved. We are called to esteem others better than ourselves. When my son was learning to talk, he picked up new words fairly easily. It was funny to hear him try to use big, complicated words in a sentence, and he actually did it pretty well. I remember when he was two or three years old, I heard him use this sentence while playing with his toys. And peculiarly, Green Lantern kicked Clayface in the face. (laughs) And his sister would try to copy him using these big words, and he would be like, she just imitated me. She wants to be just like him. And I want to be just like my God. I I fail miserably often. But I want him to be seen through my life. Conflicts provide opportunities to reflect the character of God and glorify him by how we make peace with those who have offended us. This is not how we usually view conflicts, is it? We typically view them as an opportunity to defend ourselves, to prove that we're right. But really, for true believers, our heart ought to jump at the opportunity to glorify our peacemaking God by making peace with others. And I am not saying that it is easy, but you and I must fight for peace in our relationships. Look at Matthew 5, verse 9. Jesus gives the reward of being a peacemaker. We will be called, we will be known for being a child of God. We will reflect and glorify him. A peacemaker must first and foremost be motivated to make peace because of God's glory. 
The Bible gives another motivation that I would like to meditate on. A peacemaker strives for freedom. One of the biggest obstacles to peace is bitterness. You must fight for freedom from bitterness. The Dictionary of Bible Themes defines bitterness this way, a feeling of anger and resentment caused particularly by perceived unfairness in suffering or by adverse circumstances. The Bible tells us to diligently look for bitterness in our lives. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness in our lives results in bondage. Are you in bondage to your own sin? Or maybe even the sin of someone else today? That's all you can think about. You lose sleep over it. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. It controls you. Are you in bondage to bitterness? You must fight for peace for God's glory, and your freedom. Holding on to bitterness is burdensome. It is tiring. It can suck the life from your bones. It will steal your joy. And I'm going to make a practical plea for a moment. Do you really want someone else's sin, no matter how severe, to control and ruin your life? It doesn't make their sin okay. Or even mean that they won't have to face consequences for that sin. I'm not saying that. People have to be held accountable, especially to authorities. But don't let someone else's sin put you in prison. Moving on to our next thought, I'm going to be transparent with you here. I vividly remember an instance several years ago when I was disciplining my son. We always want to make sure that they know why they're receiving discipline. So I do what we always do. Why are you getting disciplined? His answer cut right to my heart. He looked at me and said, because I didn't do what you wanted me to. In that instance, he was right. This time, he actually didn't do anything wrong. I was just inconvenienced. I sunk to the floor and held him for several minutes. I asked his forgiveness and put him to bed with no discipline. How many times are we guilty of this in our relationships? Why are we fighting? And if we're honest, we'd have to answer because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. James 4 describes it perfectly. Verses 1 through 3, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. This passage points out the root cause of conflict. Unmet desires of our hearts. This passage calls them lusts. As you fight for peace and freedom, you must also fight for freedom from idolatry. When there isn't peace in your relationships, we all have the responsibility to examine our own hearts. Am I part of the problem? If our desires are not met by others, we start to condemn them in our hearts and we start to fight for our own way. In Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, he speaks of the progression of an idol. Number one, I desire. Number two, I demand. Number three, I judge. Number four, I punish. Our desires that turn into idols aren't always wrong in themselves. But sometimes it is easier to demand something that's not wrong. After all, don't I deserve it? It's not wrong. It's not sin. 
Ken Sandy suggests some, some questions in his book to discern whether a desire, innately sinful or not, is turning into a selfish demand or an idol. What am I preoccupied with? What's the first thing on my mind when I wake up and the last thing on my mind when I go to bed? How would I answer this question? If only, fill in the blank, then I would be happy, fulfilled, and secure. Does that question reveal an idol in your life? If only I had this one thing, then I'd be happy and fulfilled and satisfied. If our demands aren't met, then we start judging others for not meeting them. David Paulison writes, We judge others, nitpick, nag, attack, condemn, because we literally play God. This is heinous. The Bible says there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The author continues to say, When we judge, we are no more than a God wannabe. We become like the devil himself. Ken Sandy then says, The last step in idolatry is, I punish. Idols demand sacrifices, he says. When someone fails to satisfy our demands and expectations, our idol demands that he should suffer. Whether deliberately or unconsciously, we will find ways to hurt or punish people so that they will give in to our desires. There's only one way out of this bondage of idolatry. We must run to the one true living God. You must worship him and not your desires, whatever they are. You must stop judging. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Has your idolatry caused a lack of peace in your relationships? We need freedom from idolatry, but also you must fight for freedom from pride. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride comes contention. Only. If there is contention, there is pride. On at least one side, but usually both. We all need to be honest and humble about our contribution to any strife or conflict, any situation where there is not peace in our relationships. Honestly ask yourself this question, do I need to humble myself and ask for forgiveness in conflict that I'm facing right now? Peace doesn't make itself. You must fight for peace in your relationship with the Lord's help. God blesses those that make peace. Peace does not rely on circumstances. It takes effort. Why should I give that effort? First and foremost, for the glory of God. I should also be motivated to make peace because it brings freedom from bitterness, from idolatry, and from pride. May God be glorified as we strive to be peacemakers. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.